0: Hello, everybody. It's Giles here. Welcome to this latest podcast on why you should have a mega ministry. You know, the Lord has put a desire for greatness in each one of our hearts. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, if anyone desires to be great, he must learn to become the servant of all. It's just the way to greatness is different in the kingdom of God. It's not lording over people, it's by serving people. But I really want you to tune in and enjoy this message because it's going to get you dreaming and planning and acting. For a bigger ministry, a bigger church, a bigger leadership influence. God bless you. See you at the end. I want to talk to you about how you should desire passionately to either have a large church or to have a large ministry. I want to in a sense, shake you from a plague within the body of Christ, which is to be satisfied with little and to be satisfied with a small ministry. Obviously, growth and size are are relative. So it's not that we should be competitive between one another, but all of us really should have a desire to grow and to grow big, you know, if you were in business, your desire, the desire of a businessman or a business person is to make lots of money. Let's be honest. Why be in business if it's not to make money? Would you, you know, there's a difference between a business and a, and a charity. A charity, the very purpose of a charity is not to make money. That's why it's called a not-for-profit. It's not there to make money. It's there to provide a good or a service to help people. It's a not-for-profit. So what's a business? A business is for-profit. Our passion, our desire is not to make money, but really to win souls, to make disciples. And, you know, our bottom line isn't dollars or pounds or rupees or whatever. Our bottom line is, is the members of our church or the souls that are saved. And the more, the merrier. And so we really have to be passionate about this and more passionate than businessmen, if you think about it, because all their riches and their earnings are left behind here on earth for the next generation to profit from and read the book of Ecclesiastes to hear Solomon talk about that. So often people work hard all their lives and they don't even, um, how can I say, they don't even enjoy their earnings. (laughs) They're left to somebody else. And so, but our earnings, our fruit go with us to the next kingdom. You know, so, so we really should be running faster and much more dedicated and passionate than any businessman. And yet some, so often you find that businessmen are sort of more zealous and work harder than a lot of ministers who, you know, sit at home and are lazy and do so little. And it's such a lack of vision and foresight. And remember this as well, guys, everything that you learn here and everything that you produce here is taken through to the next kingdom. I was encouraging uh, people on a recent uh, email and and post that uh, so many ministers, when they grow older, they slow down and they become, I don't know, they sort of lose that kind of zeal. And I think it's because they they feel that, look, my best days are over. My most productive time is over. And now I've got to leave it all for the next generation. But that's a real deception. Because really, what you take into the kingdom of God is what you learn here. So you can be growing wiser every day until the day you depart from here. And the level of wisdom that you have here is the level of wisdom that you'll have in God's kingdom. So you should be studying right up until the end. Do you follow? Because you can't change it once you get there. You're rewarded according to what you do in your flesh here. So right, you know, if you live to hundred years of age, be studying up until 99 years <laughs> and your last day, because you import the wisdom with you into the next kingdom. And and really the wisdom that you acquire here in your life here, you'll use a part of it, but you won't use all of it. So there's a lot of stuff that even you'll learn now that perhaps you won't even use for now. You'll only use it in God's kingdom. I hope you can understand what I'm saying. The same with fruit, of course, if you're fruitful here, then you'll be rewarded with, in a sense, a bigger uh, zone to care for there. And of course, it's there that really counts. Amen. So um, let's just focus a little bit. There's so much I want to share on this topic, and I was just preparing. I don't know how much I'm going to get through, but I think it's going to really help you. Let me just start with this sort of area of why you should have a big church or why you should have a big ministry or why you should win lots of souls. And I know some of it sounds a bit obvious, but at the same time, like I say, sometimes we, when, when we have a, a deception in our, in our minds, it means we lack focus. And it's only when you have focus on these things that you have power. Focus brings power. The reason there is weakness in churches and weakness in ministry is because of a lack of focus, diverted attention. When you focus on something, it becomes powerful. So you've got to have a focus on having a big ministry, okay? When you focus on that, when you prioritize that, then then it will take off. But as long as it's just, if it's just like, oh, well, I'm going to be a minister and let's see how it goes, then you'll never experience power. It has to become a goal of yours. And if you remember When we started this year, I did that teaching on having wisdom to accelerate in the year. And I asked you to write down goals. And it's important that you you have ministry goals. You have growth goals. Uh, Even this morning when I sat with my children, um, I got them to get out their list of goals again for their year. Okay, And if you remember in my teaching, I said you have to write down your goals. And the reason for writing them down is that it helps you to focus, but it also reminds you. Because sometimes you write a goal and you come up with a plan and then you forget about it the next month. But when you've always got your goals before you, beginning of every week, beginning of every month, you go back to it and you retain your focus. And that's what gives you the breakthrough power that you need to get there. Otherwise, like I say, it becomes a kind of ministry that's whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera, they say in Spanish. Okay. So, but you've gotta you got to be intentional with growth. You've got to decide that I am a pastor of a mega church, okay? I am an evangelist of the multitudes. That has to be a conscious decision that you focus on all the time, okay? Now, like I said, growth and size, though, are relative. And what I mean by that is that it does depend on things like circumstance and environment and so forth. And so we shouldn't really compete with one another. I mean, the guy's... In Nepal or Bangladesh can't really compete with the guys in, you know, Africa, for example, because they're in a persecuted country where they can't have big meetings and, you know, it's much more difficult to share the gospel, etc. So you can't compare apples with pears, type of thing. Okay, so really you've got to look at your own environment, and you know, a church, for example, of a hundred members in a town of uh, a thousand inhabitants, um, that's a big church, because it's one-tenth of the population. But a church of a 100 members, or even 200 members, in a city of a million, well, that's a small church. So it's not just the numbers, it's the environment that counts. You know, if you've got one-tenth of the population, then the pastor will have influence in that city. One-tenth is quite a lot. I mean, I live in a city here of of uh, 1.5 million people. So, you know, a tenth of that, you know, that's 150,000 people. Well, obviously, if I had a tenth of the population in my church, every politician would want to be my friend. You know, I'd have influence wherever I go. So, like I say, these things are relative and it depends on things like the city in which you live. But it also it, it, it depends upon the spiritual environment the, you know, that you're around. Um, Jesus spoke about soils, if you remember, in the parable of the sower. And some soil is fertile, some soil is not. Some soil is rocky, some soil is thorny, etc. So in some soils, it's much easier for us to, to plant and to reap And I believe in Latin America, it's much easier right now, which is why we should have mega churches everywhere. And when I say mega here, I'm talking of thousands, tens of thousands. Okay, but if you're in a Muslim country, for example, then you're sowing into soil there that's full of stones, full of problems, really difficult. So if you had a church there of a few hundred, that's a mega church. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing okay But even so, having said all that, you know we want lots of members. That's the, the big thing. We want lots of conversions we want lots of disciples and it should be our goal, each of our goals to to, to get there. So I want you to start seeing yourselves as mega church pastors no matter your environment or as mega evangelists, you know, crusade evangelists. So, you know, when you get up, when you organize a meeting, the multitudes come. Hallelujah. And another moment, we'll talk about how to have a mega church and how to have mega crusades and so forth. But in this, I'm really just wanting to talk about the whys so that it's clear in your mind, it's clear in your goals, it's clear in your thinking. And obviously, let's just, let me just say this. In order for your church to grow, your ministry to grow, then you need to grow first. Because in a sense, your church is an expression of you who are the leader. Your crusades are an expression of you, the evangelist. So you've got to have greatness in your heart and mind first. You've got to have that vision first. You've got to dream of it first. I've said to you before that your mind will work out how to get to where your heart has gone to. So your heart has to go first. Once you've seen it in your spiritual eyes, your mind will start working 24-7 on how can I get there? So, you know, if you're in Zambia or if you're in Angola or if you're in Turkey or wherever you are in India, you've got to see yourself as a mega minister, okay? You have a mega ministry you're you're a pastor of thousands you're an evangelist of multitudes now having decided that once and for all, then your mind will work out well how do I do that? how do I get there? what do I need? what are the tools? what sort of per what sort of ministry um, strategies and and tools do I need to get that vision fulfilled but it all starts with that point, okay? Now, before I go into a quick list of why you should have a huge ministry, let me just say this as well, that you must learn to rejoice in every stage of ministry. There are so many Christians who are sort of unhappy with where they are at. And remember, there's a difference between being satisfied and being content. Paul said, I've learned to be content in every circumstance whether i'm rich or poor whether i'm abased or abound whether people are with me or against me or in other words whether i've got 10 people 100 people a thousand people or ten thousand people i've learned to be content why have you learned to why did he learn to be content because ultimately contentment comes from the lord intimacy with him amen you know righteousness peace and joy in the holy ghost That's where contentment is, okay? But contentment is different than satisfaction. You should be dissatisfied with certain things in your life because without dissatisfaction, you won't have the fuel to change. So dissatisfaction is actually quite a good thing for you, okay? Because it's like that uncomfortable feeling that things could be better. And that's when you have that feeling, then it's a good thing. You know, I often have a feeling of being dissatisfied with um, how fruitful I am. Now, I don't say that negatively; I say that positively. Now, you know, when you stop and think, and I, and I, again, I'm not here to compare; I'm not here to compete. But when I talk to people in other nations, other evangelists, other pastors, and they hear about what we're doing, they all think, "Wow, you're doing so much, and you're winning so many people." And amen. It, You know, but actually, I don't feel that often. I feel like, but I'm, there's so many more to win, and I feel so unfruitful and unproductive. And, and, and so, you know, on the one hand, yes, we're doing great things, but on the other hand, there's so much more. And it's that dissatisfaction that actually drives me, that makes me pray, that makes me go after God, that makes me think and plan and strategize. How can I equip more churches? how can i hold bigger meetings how can i train more evangelists it's dissatisfaction it doesn't mean to say i'm just dis- i'm not content i'm happy most of you know me personally and you know i'm a happy guy you know i'm just content but there's a driving force within me for more hallelujah <laughs> and so but rejoice in each stage so you can you could have a desire to have a church of 10,000 100,000 you know, a thousand or even, you know, like I say, if you're in a persecuted country, you know, maybe the biggest church in town is 200 people and you just want to have 200 people. And that's your goal. Amen. Maybe you've only got 20 now, you, but rejoice over the 20. That's my point. You can rejoice out of contentment, but still drive and desire more. Amen. So but let me just kind of let's free our minds in the in the time we have right now of small thinking and we free our minds of small thinking when we renew our minds with the word of God. Okay. And so the first reason that you should have a big ministry is because every ministry, every church we read about in the book of Acts was a mega church. Okay. And I believe that the Lord is restoring the end time church to be like the first church, the early church. We're being restored. There's been a lot of talk over the last few years about how the Lord is uh, in a process of the restoration of the church. And often the emphasis in this is upon apostolic doctrine. You know, we've got to teach what the apostles taught. Amen. And even apostolic structure, you know, they met from house to house and in public places. That's why Uh, Our churches should have small groups, life groups, cell groups, as well as, you know, bigger meetings. So there's a lot of talk about structure. There's a lot of talk about doctrine. And there's even talk about sort of early church characteristics, like how they looked after one another. They served one another. They gave to one another. So all those things have been emphasized. But one thing that hasn't been emphasized is that the early church was a megachurch. And so if God's going to restore us to the same standard of the early church, then we all need to be megachurches. We all need to have multitudes following us. Hallelujah. And like I say, if you look at Jesus, not just the pastor, but Jesus, the evangelist, the Bible says that the multitudes followed him because of the signs and the wonders that he did. So you can see that he wasn't, yes, you know, he wasn't just out there uh, winning a small handful of people. He won the multitudes. And so that's the standard of the scripture. Amen. Um, Acts 2 and 21, the scripture says, excuse me, 2 and 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So you know the story well. Day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, 3,000 a sate. So a megachurch was born in a day. Wow, that's the standard. In other words, if you let the Holy Spirit loose, big things happen. Okay, I'm gonna come on to why things don't grow in a moment. But when the Holy Spirit's given free reign, when the preachers get up and preach the gospel of grace, big things happen. And I want you to notice here as well, The scripture says 3,000 were added to them, but the next sentence says, and they continued steadfastly. In other words, these weren't just hands in the crowd that then we never see again. These were 3,000 who entered the church and stayed, continued steadfastly, became members, became disciples. Hallelujah. That's the early church standard. Of course, two chapters later, we read... Uh, in Acts chapter four and four. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So here you got an increase again. And interesting, it mentions men, it doesn't mention women and children. And so, probably, you know, each family having an average of five people, you know, that could have been 25,000 in terms of the total. Uh, membership of that early church. But whatever the case, uh, the church was growing in leaps and bounds. Now, I believe the Lord wants to do that for you as well. And that's a great place to say amen, or to write amen, or to do something. Because in the end, church growth isn't about your capacity, your brilliance. It's nothing to do with you. It's to do with the Lord and the Kingdom advances when we believe him, when we believe his promises. It, you know, God chooses the weak things of the world to to release his strength. It's not you being so super wonderful that makes it for a big church. It's actually you depending upon him that makes for a big church. Amen. So, anyhow, the church grew and grew into a mega church quickly. So that's the standard of the book of Acts, number one. Number two, you should have a big ministry because everything healthy grows, okay? Healthy things grow, sick things die. So let's just think about it. A normal healthy church will grow. You don't have to try and help a church grow. It grows spontaneously, okay? Or put it differently, the only reason a church doesn't grow is because there's a problem a blockage, a sickness has entered the church. So as pastors and leaders, we're not so much trying to make something grow because the church in itself is the body of Christ. It is healthy. So it will grow. Do you follow? Really, our role as leaders is to identify if a a sickness, a virus has come in, if a block is in the way from its growth, And then we remove those blocks. We identify those sicknesses. We rid the body of them. That's our our work. Um, I just released a book, which you're going to get shortly, because we're going to launch the English version, um, about how you can improve your church services. And because I believe that the Sunday service should be that, best thing that's happening in your town every week. And the reason I say that is because we have wonderful ingredients for success. We have the best message that the world has ever heard. The message of God's grace, that no matter who you are, you're much loved from by God. No matter what you've done, there's forgiveness available. No matter what you do in the future, it's going to work together for your good. I mean, it's just such a terrific message that... You know, ear has not heard, nor eye has seen such incredible things. So we've got the best message that a human being could hear. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the most glorious power that a human being can ever experience. And then beyond that, we've got the communion of the saints, which means a, a group, a fellowship of people who have divine natures and who love one another unconditionally and care for one another. And so those three components are ingredients for success. So the question is, why then are church services not fantastic? Do you see? Because we've been given everything we need for success. And the only reason that church services are not fantastic is because of some sickness or block or something that has entered into that recipe that is stopping it. Do you follow? And as leaders, then we just need to remove those things. I'll talk more about that perhaps in another session, okay? But you're going to have, let me me prophesy into your lives. You are going to have mega ministries. So all we need to do is be alert to remove these blocks, okay? Number three, why are you going to have a mega ministry? Well, because it's God's will. Isn't that just wonderful? Isn't that just wonderful? And we read his will and his word. Let's have a look at that terrific parable in Luke 14 starting at verse 15 I'll I'll read it out to you Um, and I've used this to teach about evangelism um, because there's so many incredible components show us how to evangelize here but I haven't got time to go into all of that I just want to show you how it ends but Jesus said to them uh, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to who to those who were invited come for all things are now ready but they all with one accord began to make excuses the first said to him i bought a piece of ground and i must go and see it i ask you to have me excused the other said i have bought five yoke of oxen and they're going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, and the maimed, and the lame, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded, and there's still room Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, obviously, this parable, this story points to the Lord, the father, the certain man who gave a great supper and invited many. That's the Lord. He is this rich man who's able to put on a huge feast for for the masses and he sent out an invitation through us the preachers okay um to all who want to participate and you know when i teach on evangelism i talk about how the suppers paid for and prepared you don't have to do anything you just need to come and eat and that's evangelism really we just we just go out and tell the world hey there's there's everything you need prepared for through Christ Jesus. Every type of blessing is available. Salvation for your spirit, soul, and body. Just eat. It's a, it's a gift of grace. Somebody else paid the bill. You can profit from the bill that was paid by somebody else. This is not by your works. It's by his works. So so, so many principles in here. But really, I just want you to focus on that last phrase the, the, the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. There's the will of the father. He wants a full house. He wants a full house. I like to say this. He's not just a good father. He's a big father. He, he wants a big family. And he wants many people at the party. Okay. So, and you can obviously translate that and just say, hang on. You know, as a local church, we are the house of the Lord, so to speak. Obviously, not talking about a physical building. Okay, this is pointing to spiritual things. But at the same time, a physical building like this parable is suggesting, a physical house, it helps us to understand, you know, God wants to pack out our buildings. God wants to pack out our crusades. God wants to pack out our cell groups. Everything that the Lord does, he wants filled, you know. And if you think about it, we reflect that a little bit. Because if you're a preacher and you go into a church building and there's a thousand chairs there, but there's only a hundred people. That's a massive demotivator. Preaching to empty chairs is a preacher's nightmare. We hate that, um, you know, and, and yet what do we love? We love it when it's packed out and there's no chairs available and people are standing at the back and you're thinking to yourself, oh boy, we're gonna have to get more chairs or a bigger building. That's for us is our greatest glory. But we're reflecting the Father. That's his desire inside of us. Same with a crusade environment. You know, if I do a crusade in a huge, great football pitch or stadium, and, you know, there's just a few people at the front, oh, I'm going to preach by faith, but it's not very motivational. What I want to see is I want to see a pitch, a field packed out with people. That's, that's the will of the Father. Amen. And so it's difficult to have a party in a big space with few people. It doesn't have the right atmosphere. That's the will of the Father. So he wants, this is clear that the will of God is for us to have our houses full, okay? And the glory is this, every time you pack out a church building, then God wants you to build a bigger church, okay? Because he always wants to fill a bigger level, okay? Okay. Um, Let me just say here as well that one of the reasons why the house wasn't full in this story is because the servant was inviting the wrong kind of people. And sometimes church leaders, pastors and evangelists, they make the same mistake. Uh, We go after the kind of the rich and the educated thinking that they would be the nicest types of church (laughs) member to have. But actually, as you read from here, the people who are much more open to the invitation are the poor and the maimed, the lame and the blind. Sorry, the lame and the blind. Okay, and so you need to free yourself a little bit. This is a <clears throat> corrective word for you. Um, you know, we tend to think that it's rich people who would bless us most, okay, and and supply the needs of the church. Therefore, let's emphasize going after the wealthy. You know, because we need them to get the church going. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I'm, you know, and I'm, it's not the rich or the poor who are going to meet your needs. It's God who meets our needs. So f- forget that as a kind of strategy, all right? Look to God. He, he supplies. He supplies. And, um, you know, so you could win lots of poor people, but God supplies you through a different source. So don't worry about that kind of thing, all right? Just focus on on who's responding best, okay, and focus on those groups. Well, I hope you enjoyed that first part of this teaching on why you should have a mega ministry. We've divided this teaching into two because of the length of it. Hope you enjoyed that first part. Do please pray for us. We are getting back into crusade season here, reaching out so that many other people can experience God's grace, love, and be touched by his spirit and have transformed lives. Appreciate you. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you and being with you next week.